Hello and welcome to another lockdown edition of Keeping It Current. This week we're talking all about the recent Black Lives Matters protests as well as chatting about the recent coronavirus updates. We also have the return of political Snoke Maria Void and we have the third round of the Battle of the Wits. And Jacob Breed is on hand with his political analysis and he's also created a brand new segment for the show. Yes, I have indeed. I'm very, very, very excited, pumped up, ready to go. I haven't slept all week with anticipation, which might not be entirely true, but nevertheless, I hope you'll enjoy it. Alright, let's get cracking then. First, we're talking about the recent Black Lives Matter protests. This week has seen many Black Lives Matter protests around the world. One of the most notable protests was in Bristol on Sunday, where protesters had pulled down a statue of slave trader Edward Colston. There has been criticism over the move, as it counts as public vandalism. But the thing that strikes me here, Jacob, is why is there a statue of a slave trader in the middle of Bristol in the first place? Exactly. Um, if it's okay, I'd actually I'd like to apologise quickly for something that I said last week. Um, we were we were talking about the murder of George Floyd and Floyd and systematic racism both in the US and the UK. And at one point I said, um, basically, that, that, that previously I thought the UK didn't have slavery and that our record was comparatively good, or at least less bad from the US. And what I, what I meant to say, what I was meaning to say, was that we didn't have legal segregation like in America, so we never had a legal equivalent of the Jim Crow laws. And the point I was trying to make was that although we didn't have legal segregation, we did have de facto segregation. So it was common to see signs in shops saying no Irish, no dogs, no blacks. And British rail porters were said to operate an unofficial colour bar. The, the Bristol Omnibus Company explicitly refused to employ black drivers or conductors. Um, but I, I, I realised it might have sounded like I was trying to deny this country's history as a nation that was based on the slave trade, uh, which is obviously something that came into focus this obviously, week. Obviously, you know, so, the, the British Empire as well. It's, exactly, everyone will say I mean, how glorious the British Empire was, but there's some deep-rooted deep racism in the British Empire. Exactly, and it's... it's um, it's easy to think of it now both as our own country the empire and as a as a distant thing that that didn't belong to us and we can say oh yes the british empire was ours and we went and built roads and introduced our legal systems but at the same time it's it's attempting to disown the british empire saying it wasn't us who was pioneering the slave trade and we we can't pick and choose like that so i i I hope that what I said didn't upset anyone, and I'm very sorry if it did, and I hope they'll accept my apology. But I I think it also shows, and I I think you'll agree, Thomas, that when talking about racism, when white people are discussing racism, I think it will sometimes get facts wrong or get the tone wrong. But it's Mm -hmm. important that that doesn't put us off from talking about it, and instead that we just learn from our mistakes and educate ourselves better. So, uh, have you uh, the question? <laughs> the question, yes. Sorry. So, um, well, it, the answer as to why there's a, um, 
there's a statue of a slave trader in the middle of a city. Um, some people would tell you there is no answer. Other people would say that he left his fortune to the city of Bristol and its legacy could be seen in a variety of ways in making hospitals and, and schools and stuff like that. Um, I think I think the line that struck me as a very sensible one was what, what Keir Starmer said. He basically said, yeah. you know, it was criminal damage. Um, and we live be, in a democracy. He says it should be put in a museum. He said because people need to be educated about this stuff. Yeah, so so uh, we can't we we can't erase it from our history, and 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 we shouldn't try. And I don't think that's what the protesters were trying. Um, at the end of the day, it was criminal damage, and at the end of the day, we live in a democracy whereby you can sign petitions and go to surgeries with politicians and elect politicians who would take it down. But at the same time, I think there's a, there should be, there should be, and I think there is a lot of sympathy for the fact that if you're black or, or minority ethnic and you're still feeling the effects of systemic racism then what what does it feel like to be walking through the city centre and to see up on a high or literally on a plinth a slave trader yeah I, I know obviously what you're saying as well I'm just going to show what else Keir Starmer said he said that statues are for people who are uh, like endeared by the, all the public but obviously Edward Colston why? Why yeah. a slave trader? Why that's the that's the thing. And you, you, statues are meant to be for people who are loved, like you know, outside St James's Park at Newcastle, Alan Shearer and Sir Bobby Robson. You know. Uh... Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's another argument which is surrounding. Um, you might call it cultural relativ relativism, but ba basically the argument is that. Uh, Edward Colston, yes, he was a slave trader, but he was trading slaves when everyone was doing it, when it was when it when it was just the in thing and there was no problem with it, and um, and and so he did a lot of good things, and the argument goes that you can't blame him for that because it was just a different time, but uh, what I, I think, whichever way you come down on that argument, it doesn't change our current yeah. perspective that trading slaves having slaves is wrong um and and should not be celebrated yeah and uh, i understand what you're saying there Jackie. also there's been controversy over the response to george floyd's murder again as some people have been tweeting hashtag all lives matter i do understand people who say this as it is true that all lives do matter but they're kind of missing the point as it isn't all lives that are being discriminated against. It's simply the fact that it's black lives that are being discriminated against. Jacob, what are your opinions on the all lives matter hashtag? Um, well, I, I absolutely agree with you. All lives do matter. But when people, when people say that, it's not as a great, great celebration of humanity's intrinsic value regardless of the colour of the skin. It's a direct attack at the idea that Black Lives Matter. And I think there's a there's a brilliant um there's a brilliant image on, on social media that I'm sure you've seen. And it's um it's basically a, a, a row of houses and one of them's on fire and um someone is saying 
you know, all houses matter, and another person would say, well, yes, all houses do matter, but this is the house that's on fire, and so this is a house that, yeah. that, that just, needs the firefighters. Just, just to go back on that point, J.K., I think it was on Royce Ranganathan was on his show on Sunday night, the Ranganathan, he said, uh, basically, he was like, um, well, what was it going to be like? You're going to get now someone going, like, going to a birthday party, it's like, well, all birthdays matter, all birthdays matter. I mean, that's the thing, it's like, it's like me going to somebody's wedding and just going like, it's all about everybody, it's everyone, all weddings matter. It's, you know, you've know, you exactly. got, you got to think about exactly. the context of other things Hancock, as well. You can imagine Matt Hancock coming out with something like that at the daily, um, daily press conference when I think there's been questions from the public about, about when were weddings and he just stands there, all weddings matter, all weddings but what what I was going to say as well, actually, sorry, Thomas, yeah. um, about um, the people who tore down the statue in Bristol, uh, what I think is a really good thing is that the police did not intervene. Yeah. Because, yeah. yes, it was criminal damage, and, yes, they could have got well, I in think, I think guns... It... Go on, continue. Yeah, sorry. They could have gone in guns blazing and tried to arrest people. And I think that is that would absolutely have been a recipe for disaster. And I think it was very sensible of the police, the right decision not to do that. And as much as Boris Johnson and Priti Patel like to talk about getting hard on thugs um, in a in a in a political sense as opposed to a sexual one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I I think I think that that would have been a tragic mistake. Uh, yeah, it would have been indeed because you think it would have strengthened the claim further that the police discriminate against black lives. Um, and obviously, we have seen this in America. Obviously, with the murder of George Floyd, but it would have shown that it's happening all around the world, which it probably is. Uh, but we're not seeing it, are we? Exactly. It's it's so it's so hard so often to understand something if you if you don't live through it. I mean, yeah. think that it feels it feels like a lifetime ago that we used to sit next to each other in a politics lesson. We we know it happened, but we feel detached from that situation. And yet, it happened for two years, and it only stopped a couple of months ago. So, if we've never experienced something, then it's really hard to relate. I know I was watching a video of about racism in Formula One, and there's an Indian driver, Nareen Kafakin, who's now a commentator, and they were asking him about his experiences. And he said it's things like he would go to the station to pick up his, the train station to pick up his wife, and white people would get in the back of his car because they thought he was a taxi. And it, it, it's incredible to believe, but, but if we've never experienced it, then, um, then you know, it is incredible yeah, to yeah, hear. Yeah, because you can't emphasise em something that you uh, haven't experienced. It's like, say, for example, some people who were uh, had bad PTSD after the Manchester terror attacks a few years ago, you can't imagine what that experience was like. Yeah, you can try and kind of, you can try and learn about it. You can learn the facts about it. You, you can, can never fully you, understand it. Not the emotional weight that comes with it. So, uh, with these massive Black, Ma Black Lives Matter protests, there's also the elephant in the room of social distancing. Especially the image images from London were concerning with the lack of social distancing. There's also the recent government report that said that 
BAME communities are more likely to be endangered by COVID-19. Jacob, do you believe that there needs to be a bigger enforcement of social distancing rules at these big protests? Uh, um, I think... Um, so I, I really wanted to go to protest and there's one in Carlisle and having seen the pictures, to be honest, I wish I did go because it yeah, not it only was, was peaceful, but it was... Yeah, yeah we, we, saw, we saw it in it. ITV Ball News the other day. It was like they're all stood two metres away from each other, peacefully protesting, just... Yeah, yeah. the organisers were handing out masks, but obviously we've seen the images, that's not what it was like in London and Manchester and other places. And um, and so you've got, you've got to think that not only are they perhaps endangering themselves, which you might say is their decision, um, but then, by, by by doing that, they're also potentially endangering other people, their their grandparents, other vulnerable relatives. But I think it's a very grave day when the government um, steps in and and prohibits protests entirely. So I think, to yeah. be honest, it's something that we can be that we can be proud of to see that the protests did go ahead. Uh, uh, dis despite the government warnings. I think in terms of the uh, disproportionate impact of the coronavirus on uh, black and ethnic minority groups, it's interesting because they, they, the scientists don't understand it enough, but it seems to me like um, there are two possible explanations for it. One is about the systemic racism in the country, in that, um, in that people from these groups are more likely to be poor, living in poor quality housing, um, more cramped together, uh, with, with worse health anyway. And so actually it's it's having a disproportionate impact on poor people. That could be one interpretation. Or the other, and um, my friend An An Angelina was explaining about, she's a scientist, a medic who understands these things much better than I ever will, was saying that diseases can and often do have different effects on people from different ethnicities. So is is that the case or is it a mix from the two? And at, at the minute, that's not well understood. Okay, thank you very much there, Jacob. Now it's time to talk about the latest coronavirus update. Last week, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps announced that face coverings will be compulsory in all forms of public transport from Monday the 15th of June. This has come after the government have been umming and ahhing for months on the issue of face masks. Jacob, why do you think the government has implemented this rule now? Um, I, I mean, I suppose they would think Monday the 15th, that's when um, many people will be going back to work in retail, so that's when trains could get busier. If trains are busier and less able to maintain social distancing, then to compensate from, for that, you could have the face coverings. But I, I think equally there are a lot of critics who say that rules on face coverings and equally the quarantine could have and should have been introduced way back in March, like other countries do. And but actually, the government's been quite slow. Yes, so uh, they, it's quite uh, difficult this one because they've gone, they've contradicted themselves so much. They're like when everybody else has started saying, they're like, no, you've got to. Uh, there's no scientific evidence, and how come suddenly there's just been this scientific evidence? Or oh, is this just because they're worried about the transmission being uh, increased due to the uh, easing of lockdown? Yeah, I mean, again, what they would say is that there's never a definitive 
scientific answer. There are a whole range of studies, um, an increasing amount of um, of research and data that's available. So, um, any anything to do with science is 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 a kind of evolving understanding. Uh, there, there might also have been a worry uh, when there were acute shortages of PPE, personal protective equipment, that yeah. people would be looking to buy proper surgical masks and, and therefore the NHS would run short of them. So that's why the advice now of the rule now is on face coverings, not... not yeah, because they're, they're saying to make some out of your own t-shirts, aren't they? Stuff, t-shirts. Exactly, or your, your, you know, your smelly your, socks. Your underpants. <laughs> well, that's an exciting thought. Also, uh, death linked to corona. People would think you've been eating chocolate. Yeah, maybe. Oh God, Jacob, come on! Disgusting. Um, also, also, deaths linked to coronavirus continue to fall. Last week, only 18% of deaths across the UK mentioned coronavirus on the death certificate, compared to 38% at the peak in April. Jacob, do you think that the reduction in death will re- result in a change of people's attitude? And in the result, more people will break the rules? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a question, isn't it? I think, um, I think certainly as you watch the news, you see fewer cases, you see fewer deaths, you think we're moving out of the peak. But as a result of that, the rules are being loosened you know shops are it's confirmed that they're going to be opening you can now meet up to six people from outside of your household so um people i think will be will be making the most of of the new rules but yeah i think i think i think it's a very legitimate worry to think that we grow complacent because bearing in mind that the deaths we're seeing now um in the low hundreds um, are as a result of the rate of transmission of three weeks ago. So if we get complacent now, then we could pay the price in three weeks' time. I know that the deaths over the weekend are normally lower, but uh, this uh, Sunday, uh, or was it Monday? Monday, which obviously counted for Sunday, uh, there was only 55 deaths across the UK, which is um, which was the lowest since the start of lockdown. So, do you think this shows um, that the lockdown's been effective? Oh, I think there's no question it's been effective. There, there were a couple of studies that came out this week, um, and I think uh, one of them said, one of them estimated that uh, lockdown would have saved 400,000, or did save 400,000 lives in the UK. Um, equally, I think that there, there will be questions about, could it have been more effective if it was implemented earlier. So I yeah. saw another study that said was if it was introduced a week earlier, that would have saved 8,000 lives. If it was two weeks earlier, it would have saved 12,000. Um, but but no doubt, no doubt that it has. The, the difference, of course, is that had there been no lockdown and had people gone about their daily business as usual, then we would be reaching a point of herd immunity so on one hand you could say life would be getting back to normal by now but, but um, unfortunately that normal would involve half a million people in, dead yeah, unnecessarily imperial so. imperial college one that was going to be about 250,000 people dying and i think that's maybe what like made boris johnson go oh wait, wait a minute this is um, serious now you know <laughs> <laughs> yes yes 
Okay, now it's time to talk about the other news. This week, a CNN poll about the US election has put Donald Trump in a spot of bother. Joe Biden is 14 points ahead of Trump in this poll, with Biden on 55% on tr and Trump on 41%, respectively. Jacob, how damaging do you believe the last couple of weeks will be to Donald Trump's presidential campaign? Well, that's, um, that's an, a wonderful poll. I think, to be honest, I think it's um, an outlier in the size of Joe Biden's um, lead, if not in the fact that Joe Biden has a lead at all. Trump has consistently, since the first day of his presidency, since indeed before his election, has never done well in the polls. Um, in terms of these past couple of weeks, I think... Um, I, I think um, the, I saw a poll which showed a majority of people in favour of the protests um, and a majority of people against Trump's handling of them. I also read an a, a, a Economist article which was saying that um, when there is when there are peaceful protests in the run-up to an election, that by about two percentage points benefits the Democrats because I, it kind of it motivates them to, to, to get out the vote. So lots of the people who are campaigning for Black Lives Matter would, would, would quite probably vote for Democrats anyway, but because this has caught the national attention, they would be more likely to vote. Um, on the other side, the poll from The Economist um, estimated that uh, when protests get violent, then Democrats in presidential elections lose three points because all of a sudden um, the middle America are getting jittery and, 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 and they consolidate their ideas. But I think the, the thing about the Trump presidency, which is absolutely remarkable, is that he has done an unprecedented amount of crap. Um, probably, <laughs> probably 15 things, I exaggerate not, probably 15 things that would have scuppered another president. Uh, you know, it, before the election, locker room talk about grabbing women by the... And you know how that... Oh, see, he offended um, the uh, disabled person in the wheelchair. Yeah, mock, mocking the disabled journalist, saying that Charlottesville, that, that neo-Nazis were good people on both sides, saying to American congresswomen to go back home, um, um, the Ukraine quid quo pro with the military, the obstruction of justice with the Mueller report, um, the uh, keeping children in cages um, at the border and so much more and yet his base does not care if anything this sort of thing riles his base up and it's constantly stood at about 35 to 40 percent trump himself said he could stand on a street in new york and shoot someone and he would still people would still vote for him and at the minute he's proven that that sentence to be absolutely right um, so i think just to continue on that list of you said the unprecedented amount of crap, I think we can also you also forgot to say about the injecting dettol, taking unproven uh, malaria drugs to cure coronavirus. You know. Yeah, and recommending um, or suggesting that people could drink bleach. Yeah. Um, the sun's going to let you get not get coronavirus. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Sunbathe, and you're not getting COVID. Oh. Also, uh, he also said uh, something. It was at the press conference when he said about the um, the bleach, I think. Or it was one of the other ones. And he'd, um, 
he wouldn't answer the question to, it was a black journalist actually, and then he, uh, a black female journalist, and he went, uh, he went on and she just continued like, right, right, don't, don't, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, uh, why are you not answering my question? And it's like, right, I go on, and it's like, I, I ask you, and you're out your time, you, and then he just walked off. Yeah, he, he, I mean, these are basically vanity projects. He stands there and boasts about what he considers to be his great performance for two hours, and then, and, and no one learns anything new apart from that he's a psychopath, which we all knew already. Um, Especially the candidates <laughs> on The Apprentice. Yeah, well, that's this is this is a problem because um, he so he cultivated on The Apprentice this image of being a wily businessman who could make the big decisions about who to who to fire. Yeah, the thing is, he has been a terrible businessman. He's um, he's gone bankrupt three times, which he says is clever because it it, it means he got out of his debts, but it's just. Is, is 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 unscrupulous um there are stories about him for example taking listed buildings agreeing not to knock them down and then knocking them down the new york times estimated that he basically inherited a huge amount of money from his father and they estimated that if he put it in a bank he would have more money than he has now um he he so he is a fundamentally bad businessman but but that's not in, but he cultivated successfully this image on the apprentice and he's using that now in the white house a reality tv president the number of times he'll say to people keep tuned he'll tweet about something and he says you know maybe i'll do this maybe i'll do that keep tuned or I'll let you know later but and and the way he he likes having the cameras before he gets in a helicopter before a cabinet meeting. He is yeah. a reality TV they, president. And not, I can't remember media. what question you asked, but this has been very therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, I just the question I asked was about how damaging it would be to Trump's presidential campaign, not how bad has Donald Trump been as a US president. But I th- I, th- I think. I think we've all needed to get that off our chest over the last couple of weeks. Um, I think we finally have. Also, uh, <laughs> no, you, who, who, who can forget, obviously, fake news and Covefe and um, mainstream <laughs> media? I mean, the, the one thing is that um, he has brought attention to misinformation on social media uh, and coined the term fake news, which is a useful term. Um, apart from, of course, when he uses it, normally it's for genuine news that he just doesn't like. Uh, also, uh, Debenhams has announced that he will close a further three stores, which means that since April, they have announced that 20 stores will not reopen after their lockdown break. One of these is, includes the Metro Centre store in Newcastle. Jacob, do you think that other stores will go the same way as Debenhams and not reopen after the lockdown break? Um, yeah, I, I think it's very possible. I mean, the, the, the government would be quick to tell you how much support they've offered to businesses, but we know that the high street was in a, a very bad way before the lockdown, and this has quite possibly sped up that yeah, process. Yeah. And I think there's a worry as well that actually shops have been shut, so people have been forced to buy online, and that's changing people's habits. They might continue to buy online, um, when 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 the shops do reopen? Yeah, because um, over the last few years we've seen some big players uh, go bust. Toys R Us, Maplin, just to name a few. You know, uh, I did. Yeah, I, I did really enjoy Toys R Us as a child. 
Some good good memories. Good memories indeed. Also, the Treasury has announced that more than one in four UK workers are now furloughed. Some 8.9 million workers are getting paid furlough pay, which is 80% of their normal salary. But changes are upon us when it comes to the furlough scheme, with companies being able to part furlough people from the start of July. This means that companies will be able to bring employees back part-time as they may not be able to give full-time work. Jacob, do you think that these changes will help reduce the burden on the government and reduce this huge number of people that are fully furloughed? Yeah, I think it will. I think I think businesses, most businesses, will want to get people back in because when their employees are sitting at home, they they might not be costing the business any money if the government's footing their wages. But equally, they're not earning the business any money. Um, so so if they can get in, and indeed retail now can get in. Um, then, then it, it seems to make sense that businesses will want to will want to have people back, especially when they're going to have to start paying yeah. uh, national insurance contributions. And then and then, it's going up to ten percent of the eighty percent in September and twenty percent in October until then. Then after that, the government support completely stops. Indeed, it does. Uh, also, zoos and safari parks are going to be reopened as part of the lockdown easing. They are set to reopen on the 15th of June, and other outdoor attractions are also set to open, such as outdoor cinemas. Jacob, do you think that this is a sensible step to take for the government? If um, if there was an outdoor cinema near Carlisle or Penrith, and I would say it was a brilliant step, it was, you know, a, a very <laughs> wise decision. Unfortunately, we're not. We're, I, I, I don't know any. Zoos really close Back by our outdoor cinemas. Yeah. Um, South Lakes Wild Animal Park. There we go. So uh, yeah. we'll all be we'll be flocking to South Lakes Animal we'll Park. Getting, we'll be start we'll be starting the far start starting the far starting the car. <laughs> <laughs> starting the far. Okay, we're we'll starting the car, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and Jacob will also be able to go and see his um, his fellow monkeys in the zoo. <laughs> well, I, I am looking forward to my banana milkshake um, in McDonald's because the drive through is now open. But they're not selling banana milkshakes, Jacob. They're not doing milkshakes. Are they not? I, I, I went to the drive through on Monday and they not, they're not doing milkshakes. No. There's a reduced menu. They're not doing milkshakes. Who the hell thought it would be a good idea to not put... But I'm... not the milkshakes on a reduced <laughs> menu. If you want to reduce a menu, get rid of the vanilla milkshakes and the chocolate milkshakes and the strawberry milkshakes and the strawberry milkshakes. But no, no, they're, not, they're not doing any of the milkshakes. <laughs> oh, don't don't, don't worry, Jacob. You can still get your Mottis and Matt Flurry or your mozzarella dippers. No, I want, I want banana milkshake. I, I've been planning. This is in the script, right? I mean, I've been planning because I can't drive and... and my brother can, but he said we'll go in a few weeks when it's quietened down. So I've been planning, you know, um, those little car, toy cars you get for toddlers, <laughs> and you you kind of get in and them on. I I've been I planning saw... on getting one of those to go build, making a cardboard car. I to saw somebody my... do that on oh. Instagram. Um, yeah. So this um... is this is this is. Um, I'm, I'm o- also at McDonald's breakfast is not being running, but. Um... It is coming back on the 24th of June, so maybe, maybe banana milkshakes will be back on the 24th of June, Jacob. I hope so. Let me tell you, to answer your past question about whether more shops 
um, will remain shut permanently after locked after lockdown is eased. I think if they have a business sense of McDonald's, then the answer is yes. <laughs> if they don't give the people what they want, I, I, I think I think we should take this to a referendum. Should we have banana milkshakes back on the menu of McDonald's? Yes or no? Okay, put put that on the uh, keeping current Instagram account, and I'm yeah. sure you'll find a clear I majority. I know, indeed. So. Uh, after he's finished crying, uh, now, it, after he's finished crying, it's time for the premiere of Jacob's brand new segment. So this is Jacob's new segment, so Jacob, take it away. Ah, thank you very much, Thomas. I've regained my composure. There are some things, I suppose, in life that are more important than a banana milkshake from McDonald's. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, after almost two years, Thomas has finally waved the white flag of surrender and granted me permission to come up with my very own segment. This brings both heady excitement and weighty responsibility, and I've no doubt that he's now having second thoughts, am I right? <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> well, the second thoughts will be right, because the new segment I like to call... Thomas's Tinder, whereby we will together create Thomas a Tinder account. <laughs> we'll take uh, suggestions from our valued listeners, and each week we'll check back on how Thomas is doing. How does that sound? Dreadful. <laughs> right, what, what really is it? Can't, it can't be that. It can't be that. Can it? No, it is. It is. I'm, I'm kidding. Tom, Tom, we're, we're on Skype now and Thomas has gone bright red. Oh, <laughs> uh, let, let me introduce you to our actual new segment. What would you do? In this segment, we'll discuss an interesting political event from a past. Well, well, what, what, well, well, then what will you do when, you're, when you have to sit next to Jacob Reid for about two hours? And I think, I think one of the answers for mine should be jump off a cliff. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure Dreadful puns, that. cheesy jokes. My word. Well, <laughs> um, so, so what would you do? Uh, we'll discuss an interesting political event from the past, uh, the things leading up to the event or the decision, what happened and what the consequences were. We'll then put ourselves in the shoes of the politicians and ask, what would you do? And how might history have played out differently as a result? Today we go back to 1994. John Smith, the charismatic and hugely popular Labour leader, has died suddenly from a heart attack. Usually popular. A why, why, why is he usually popular? Job. Why is he usually popular? Was he not always popular? Uh, hugely. Really, oh, hugely? Really I thought usually. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> so, I it's, it's very likely that he would have been uh, Prime Minister. Um, had he had he lived to the next election, and allegedly there was weeping in the Commons from both sides when when he died. But yes, so there is a there is a, a vacancy with, for a top job. Uh, Gordon Brown is shadow chancellor. Tony Blair is shadow home secretary. They shared an office in Parliament in the 1980s and have very similar ideas for the modernisation of the Labour Party. But of the two, Brown was more experienced had been a member of the Labour Party for longer, and the BBC says in an article, quote, was regarded by many in the party as Mr Smith's obvious successor. However, Blair and Brown in a restaurant in London came up with a so-called Granita Pact, which has since entered political folklore. 
In his autobiography, Brown says that it was a, quote, private but explicit understanding that he would not contest for leadership, leaving the road clear for Blair, and in return, Blair would make him chancellor with full control over economic and social policy and would stand down after one full turn. What happened? Well, Brown did stand aside, Blair did win the leadership, they did enter government, and Brown was a hugely powerful chancellor. But that's where it falls apart, Thomas, because Blair stood down not after one full term, but after 10 years and three elections. Their relationship completely deteriorated, and it's said that by the 2005 election campaign, they could barely talk to each other. So the question, Thomas, is this. You're Gordon Brown, it's 1994, you're sitting in the Granita restaurant, and Blair asks you to stand aside. What do you do? What would you do? I'm oh, oh, sorry, what, I just messed up on the entire name what, of the um, what do you segment. Do? What, what, do you what would do? you do? What would you do? Yes. Um, what would I do? Well, um, I could go full on uh, Michael Gove and do a bit of backstabbing, you know. Um, um, no, um, what would I do? I, I think because... Um, because no type of person Tony Blair was, you knew that he wanted the power he didn't really have the he didn't really use cabinet utilize cabinet as much in his um terms as prime minister he didn't um he um only um asked um Gordon brown did they make the decision on the euro before turning the cabinet that they were going to make a decision on joining the euro so yeah um, and the bank of england independence as well if it was me god i don't know because the thing is um there's a lot in leadership contests. There's a lot of this, um, you know, tit tatter like, right? If you vote for me, I give you my, I give you a job or stuff, stuff like that. You know, we saw a big example of this in the Tory leadership con- contest last year, where um, Matt Hancock um, pulled out and obviously was told by Boris Johnson he would keep his post as health secretary if he pulled out, and he did. So, um, and I'm sure many people wish he didn't. Um, so. Um, <laughs> Especially all the care home staff across the country. Yeah. Um, so, I think if I was going brown, I would have just ran for the leadership because I think there was a part like he. I think Tony Blair still could have won it because arguably I think that Tony Blair's more likable, more, um, more charismatic than Gordon Brown. So uh, if I was uh, Gordon Brown, I would have still ran for the, the Labour leadership. Okay, because yeah, so Tony Tony Blair um, was was hugely charismatic, and when Gordon Brown eventually became prime minister in two thousand and seven, um, he had a good start, but soon there were reports expensive, about him having expensive scandal as well. Yeah, expensive scandal. Apparently, he had a really bad temper. He would throw staplers at his staff. He in the twenty ten election campaign, he accidentally had a microphone left on recording yeah, and called a Labour voter. A uh, bigoted old woman. So, so you're Gordon Brown. You stand against Blair and against John Prescott, who represents old Labour. Do you think you win? Uh, no, I think Taylor Blair will still win because I I I know that they both have it, but I believe Gordon Brown. He he never won. I know John Major was portrayed as a great man, but um, Gordon Brown never beat Cameron in 2010. He um, as I say, he threw staplers around in his office, um, you know, 
And I think there could still be packs during running for the leadership that could have been made, say, right, Tayberry, say, oh, Gordon, you're a real threat now. Um, I'll give you a job or something like that. I think that it still could pan out the same way as it did. But um, I think Tony Blair still would have won because I think of his um, charisma on a stick, you know. Uh, and obviously, remember the speech that was made um, after Diana's death. It just looked like it was so natural to him. Mm. After that speech, he was, according to the opinion polls, the most popular politician and prime minister of a country had ever had, like, 90% approval rate. Do you think... If you were Gordon Brown, you could have convinced Blair to stand aside and made him the Chancellor? Stand aside and make Blair a Chancellor? Yeah. I... I don't... Uh, because you're, sure. the, you're the more experienced of I the know, two. I know, but experience sometimes doesn't... I know, like, you say people are experienced in the terms that you could say Michael Gove is more experienced than Boris Johnson as being a Member of Parliament, but... Boris Johnson still won the Tory leadership election, so, you know, um, I still, I, I don't think Tony Blair would have said yes, because I believe that he wanted the leadership, he saw himself as the ideal Prime Minister to take the country forward, I think. Who can, so, who can forget the Fingers Can Only Get Better campaign video? <laughs> um, and do you, do you think... Um, um, I imagine that somehow Brown did become leader in 1994. How do you think things would have been different? Oh, I think it would be completely different because I believe that... I don't think Labour would have won 2005. I think um, because obviously it was not narrow, but it was closer than the last two had been. Um, and I also believe we won't be staring at this now because... Um, Thinking about it, that means Gordon Brown wouldn't have been the leader in 2010 against David Cameron, and we could have had someone nicely more likable running against Cameron. And no, we could not have. We could have ha not have had Brexit. We we might have um, had a competent leader during the global pandemic. Who knows? <laughs> well, well, having having said that about the 2005 election vote, um. The, the majority, the Labour majority, was cut from, was it 140 to 60? Um, but a big reason for that was the unpopularity of the Iraq yeah, Iraq war. as well, I forgot to mention that. Obviously, um, I think we saw in the film uh, Vice about uh, Dick Cheney and how uh, Tony Blair was so drawn to George Bush, they were so close together. Uh, it was like anything Bush would do, Blair would do. But uh, actually, I think Gordon Brown would have maybe stood up in a way that obviously uh, Tony Blair could might have been a bit of a yes man when it come to George Bush saying stuff and you know uh, and the most powerful man in the world and stuff like that. <laughs> going, uh, yeah, I I I think um... uh, you can imagine Gordon Brown just going, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I I think. Um... Blair was very concerned uh, with, the, with, 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 with looking to be strong on terrorism um, and uh, aware that that had perhaps um, be the question of defence and security being a weakness of the left that, and maybe that wasn't a concern that, 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 uh, that Brown shared. I wonder as well 
um, Tony Blair, he was a Europhil, so he wanted us to enter the Euro. It was Brown who stopped it. Um, he also... We could have been Blair, using Euros as current thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, al- he also... Oh, well, that's a good point, actually, because if... You can imagine that if uh, Brown was Prime Minister, Blair would have been Chancellor, and if he had full control of economic policy, then maybe he would have driven through the Euro. Um, but also, when, when there was the expansion of the EU and um, all of the, the, the countries, the former Soviet countries joined, um, Blair decided not to put limits on migration from those countries. Um, do, do you think that that could have dampened the sentiment that led to the Brexit vote? I think it could have done because um, I just think, you know, you look at these pieces of time and, you know, it's like, uh, you haven't seen the film, but it's like Avengers Endgame, they've created the multiverse in Marvel, and, you know, like, they did, they went back in time and then it's like, what happened if they didn't do this and they go goes on multiple time streams? It's like, what happened if they, um, uh, Smith has stayed alive and, you know, you got to think... Uh, what happened if Margaret Thatcher didn't resign in 1990? It's uh, there's uh, big questions and um, yeah, I, I I I don't I don't think Brexit would have happened because I think that maybe David Cameron would have got into power earlier and he may have been not have been there in 2015. Yeah. Well, with that said, uh, Thomas is gesticulating at me to hurry up. <laughs> um, so, if um, if if Thomas secretly did ever so slightly enjoy this segment, what will you? What would you do? We'll be back in the future. If not, then it will probably die a sad and unfortunate death, Actually, and I'll never. What would never you do? What would you do? We'll be back next week, where Jacob will be telling, giving us the me the scenario of Nick Clegg and the. Uh, David Cameron's 2010 correlation. Oh, I'm very chuffed. And another segment that will be coming next week is Thomas's Tinder. Please do send us your suggestions. No, uh, also, Jacob's Tinder's coming next week. Probably. Probably. It doesn't... It, it, there's no alliteration. It doesn't work, Thomas. Oh, I don't know. Jacob's gesticulating or something like that. <laughs> j- j- jig- jiggly, jiggly Jacob. <laughs> right. Uh, thank you very much for that, Jacob. Now... It's time for the return of political snog, marry, avoid. I'm not prepared any questions. Um, since Jacob strung this on me for a, a few weeks ago, I've been wanting to get you back. So now it's your turn to play political snog, marry, avoid. Oh, okay. um, so I'm going to give you three politicians, and all you have to do is decide which one you'll snog. Which one you'll marry and which one you'll kill. So, sorry, oh, yes. avoid, avoid. Yes, all I'll do. Yeah, so the first um, three is Tony Blair, Andy Burnham, and David Miliband. <laughs> okay, um, 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 okay. I think, um, Tony Blair, Andy Byrne, and David Miliband. You see, I think Tony Blair would be the most interesting of the three because although um, although David Miliband would have made a good Labour leader, I think he never did, let alone Prime Minister. So I think I'd marry Tony Blair because that would that you know that, that would that would have the most stories to tell the grandchildren, I suppose. Um, 
I, and I would avoid Andy Burnham because I think I've said this before. I saw him when I was in the youth file and I've got you to find it, him particularly it interesting, did you? Didn't didn't resonate, in which case I find myself apparently um stalking David Miliband, which isn't um interesting. Okay. We got we've got a Tory trio here, Jacob. Pretty Patel, Theresa May oh. and Matt Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would not marry Theresa May because I would not want to be bored to death. Um, I, 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 I think being married to Theresa May would be very, very, very dull. I, I, I really do. Um, I think um, um, pretty, pretty Patel. You could imagine is the sort of person who isn't good for you, but you know you're attracted to them anyway you know you don't like her her silly hard stand on on criminality but you 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 can't help but have feelings for her so so i don't know whether that means i would maybe maybe on a wild night out when um you know a bit of alcohol so let's say it's not pretty patel avoid theresa may and that means i'm apparently um you're marrying back marrying Although the, the only other thing I would say is that if I married Theresa May, then maybe we'd have joyful afternoons running through fields of wheat. Yeah, but I, I just hope that Matt Hancock doesn't send you into a care home because it leads you to a one-way <laughs> uh, what, is, what is one-way entrance? Um, right, uh, your third one is Joe Swinson, Jeremy Corbyn and Dominic Raab. <laughs> oh, um, Joe, Joe Swinson. Um, uh, <laughs> um, I did. I did. I. I. I really did quite like her kind of plucky. You know, I am your Lib Dem candidate. I am your Lib Dem candidate for prime minister. Yeah, and then we saw. Um, you saw. You saw. On the election night, I remember because I. I did wake up and I just uh, turned it on to check if the exit poll was real. And it, shockingly, it was. Uh, I went to. <laughs> I, I looked and I just saw you could just see uh, Nicholas Sturge going like yeah oh, yes come on <laughs> um, yeah and obviously she lost her seat so yeah um, yeah so so that would mean in fairness that would mean if we were married then there would be um, more time to do family activities yeah. because being 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 a, being a member of parliament the statistics show that you're more likely to have a divorce. Um, so let's say I married Joe Swinston. Um, Dominic Rab um, is just, I'm not sure he's all that good. Um, and the other one reminds me, Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn. Oh my goodness me. Um, um, okay, let, let's say I'll avoid Dominic Rab. And then you you can you can imagine if if you're a young impressionable figure and you know you're very invested in a cause against the Iraq War or something and then you know you you go out on a protest and then you go to a pub and again have a few drinks so so let's say snog Jeremy Corbyn okay uh, David Cameron Gordon Brown and Nigel Farage. Farage. Okay, Farage. Nigel Farage. There's no, no shadow of Farage. The weird thing, he doesn't. He's a bit racist, but his his name sounds like he's from France. So <laughs> it is, and let's oh. not forget, he's he's an anti-establishment figure who's, by the way, for the last thirty years, lived off 
politics. Um, I think I'm I'm thinking right now that David Cameron's family is clearly pretty well off, so it would be a comfortable marriage. Uh, the children would get a, a healthy inheritance. Yes, yeah, you would you would make sure that he wouldn't lose his children again. <laughs> yes, um, in which case, um, in which case. And Mar- Mary, I suppose, is David Cameron. And I hear, I hear, Gordon, Gordon Brown. He has um, only he's blind in one eye, which might make him more likely to to snog a um, a figure such as myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jacob, your last, your last. Oh, Rebecca Long Bailey, Rishi Sunak, and Gavin Williamson. Oh, now I've got to admit, I'm a big, a big fan of Rishi Sunak. I, I don't, I actually, I'm sorry, I don't like calling the words, uh, using the word fan for politicians because they're not, they're not celebrities, they're not people you watch on Saturday Night Takeaway, they're professional. But, um, but yeah, I think he, I think he's very clear, I think he's compassionate, I think he's done a lot of good in this crisis. And so I would say my Rishi Sunak. Um, Rebecca Long Bailey, um, I've got to admit she annoys me, but I'm careful about saying that because I know I know lots of people say that and it's it's a kind of underlying sexism coming through that you can get away with if it's so in the context of an individual woman. Um, and who was the other? Um, Gavin Williamson. Gavin Williamson. Um, he the person who cancelled our A-level exams. The man who cancelled our A-level exams. He used to be a um, an, a uh, fireplace salesman, so um, maybe if the snog went well, I could get a mate's rate on a good fireplace. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll say that, and alas, I'll avoid Rebecca Long-Bailey. Okay, thank you very much for that now, Jacob. Now that was a tense topic. <laughs> you you know how it feels now. You know how it feels. No 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 more no more particular snog marathon, especially except for a special guests, of course. You know. Yes yes. Now it's time for the third round of the battle of the wits. This is the battle of the wits. This is the part of the show where Jacob and myself go up against each other using a range of TV quiz pop formats. Last week we played quiz the ads and Jacob closed the gap. So the scores and the doors are Jacob 19, Thomas 20. What are we going to be playing this week, I hear you say? Well, this week we're playing the race, not the chase, for copyright reasons. We're each going to face two minutes of general noise questions and every question right is a point towards the overall total. But after we've both had our turns, there'll be a chance to gain bonus points by answering a set of bonus questions. How many po- bonus questions we get to answer is down to how many our opponent gets wrong or passes on. Is that all clear? So, the well, rate... Wait, 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 <laughs> let me just say, let me just say to the viewers, okay, so me, Thomas, and a couple of other friends have, in lockdown every Saturday night, uh, been doing a quiz. And uh, we've done it for five weeks now, and I have been last, fifth out of five, for five weeks in a row. And so I think Thomas is dressing this up in some great battle of the wits idea, but this is really just a scheme to humiliate me, and I suspect that it's going to work. Well, J- Jacob, 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 you, you, 
I was saying something that I really wanted to say all my life, and then you just... You just interrupted me, okay? I'm sorry. Okay, okay. So, the race is on. Jacob's answering first. So, your two minutes will start now. How many movies make up a trilogy? Three. Correct. Who hosts this year's film BAFTAs? No idea. Uh, what is 12 times 9? Uh, 108. Uh, correct. How many times has Andy Murray won Wimbledon singles? Two. Correct. What's the largest country in the world? In terms of land size yeah. or population? Land size. Uh, Russia? China? Oh, great. Okay, who is the current business secretary in the UK? Alex Schaller. Correct. What does LGBT stand for? Uh, lesbian, gay, uh, trans, bisexual. Correct. Uh, Who's third in line to the British throne? Um, so, oh, oh it's George? Correct. Um, which band had a hit with Viva La Vida? Uh, Coldplay. Correct. Who hosts the TV show The Ranganation? Robert Ranganation. And his mum? Correct. I don't know. In which year did Margaret Thatcher die? 2013. Correct. What's the capital of Hungary? Budapest. Correct. How many F1 world titles has Sebastian Vettel won? Four. Correct. What's the chemical si symbol for iron? Uh, N.A.? Incorrect. How many elections did Neil, Can Neil Kinnock lose? Two. Correct. Who won the 2019 Cricket World Cup? England. Correct. Who was Henry VIII's first wife? Um, um, Caroline. Uh, incorrect. Uh, in Find Nemo, what type of fish is Nemo? Pass. Uh, in which country was Adolf Hitler born? Uh, no, Austria. Correct. Uh, insulin is used to treat which medical condition? Sorry, I didn't catch Insulin that. is used to treat which medical condition? What? Insulin. I can't hear the alarm's going. Insulin is used to treat which medical condition? Oh, insulin, diabetes. Correct. Right, Jake, you read. Uh, your time's up. Uh, sorry, I should have said I'll start, so I'll finish. But, uh, Jacob, you got four wrong, so that means I will be facing four bonus questions and you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, sixteen points. Well done. Ah, oh, thank you. I'm pleasantly surprised. Okay, so I, that means I will face four bonus questions later on. So now it's time for me to... Okay, are you ready? I am ready indeed. Okay, so I've got two minutes on the clock, and I will start in three, two, one, go. What is the biggest state in America according to land area? Texas. Alaska. Oh. The tallest building in the world is located in which city? Uh, Dubai? Yes. Uh, uh, what is Postman Pat's surname? Pass. Clifton. God Only Knows was a 1966 hit for which American band? The Beach band? Boys. 
Yes. Uh, name the composer behind the soundtracks of The Lion King, Inception, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Hans Zimmer. Yes. And Noel and Liam Gallagher have an older brother. What's his name? Oh, Stephen? Paul. Uh, how many goals did England score, excluding penalty shootouts, at the men's 2018 FIFA World Cup? Oh my word, two, six, eight, eight, nine, eleven, twelve. Twelve. Yes. Uh, who won the Great British Bake Off in 2019? 2019. Pass. David. Uh, which year was the original Toy Story film created in the US? 1995. Yes. Uh, ben Stokes inspired England's 2019 Cricket World Cup victory. Who scored the second highest number of runs in the match in the final? Uh, Joss Butler. Yes. Uh, in what year did Channel 5 launch in the UK? Uh, 1996. 97. Uh, which southern Italian city is usually credited as the birthplace of a pizza? Uh, pizza. Naples. Prêt à manger, um, what do, does a French name mean? Uh, ready to eat. Yes. Uh, what type of car does Doc Brown use as a time machine in Back to the Future? A... Um... Pass. Oh. DeLorean. Oh. Uh, which city hosted the 1936 Olympics? Uh, oh, 1936. Berlin. Yes. Complete this line from an iconic Queen song. Um, I see a little silhouette of a man, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you see that? And that's your time up. Fandango. Yes. So, Thomas, you got nine right oh. and seven wrong or passed. Oh, brilliant. That means you've got seven various questions and I've got four. <laughs> I can't... Yours, yours I was not, much I harder think, I think my questions were harder than yours. Sorry. So, uh, Jacob, you got four wrongs. So that means... Uh, no, Jacob, you got... Yeah, you got four wrong. That means I have four bonus questions. So, Jacob, four bonus questions. Yes. Um, so, uh, question one... What language is spoken in Brazil? Portuguese. Yes. Um, question two. What is Sheldon Cooper's one-word catchphrase in the Big Bang Theory? Uh, bang. Bazinga. Uh, um, how many permanent members are there on the UN Security Council? My word, God. Um, Twelve. Five. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to find a slightly nicer one. Um, EastEnders began broadcasting on BBC One in which year? 1985. Yes. Um, so that's two right, so that bumps up your score to 11. Okay, right, you get. How many did I get wrong? Seven. Seven? God. Okay. <laughs> If you're going to put in the lead, I'm going to have to do a harder one next week. <laughs> okay. It has been quite the bonanza of but points. Bonus question one. What is the longest running soap opera in the UK? Um, it's um, uh, Coronation Street. Correct. Woman's Hour is a long running radio show on which radio station? LBC. Uh, incorrect. BBC Radio 4. Catalonia is a region of which country? Spain. Correct. What musical instrument can be bass, electric or classical? Um, 
I want to say guitar. Yeah, guitar. Correct. What? Which three colours make up the Dutch flag? Oh, I should know this because Max Verstappen, the F1 driver, is Dutch. Let's let's have a shot in the dark. Let's say white. Which three um, colours, Jacob? Uh, <laughs> white, um, blue, and um, red. Correct. <laughs> Stupid Love was the debut single from the album Chromatica from which US singer? Lady Gaga. Correct. In which English county is Plymouth? The South. Incorrect. <laughs> right, that's your seven bonus questions. You've got five bonus questions right. God, my word. <laughs> that means... The scores after round three of the Battle of the Wits are Jacob 40, Thomas 31. God, my oh, word! Oh, yes, this, this feels good. <laughs> right, now it's time for a re- review of this week's show. It's been a great show, hasn't it, Jacob? <laughs> it has, I do just want to say, right after uh, we stopped recording for the race, not the chase segment, Thomas said, oh, I picked that because I thought you would do terribly at it. So um, I-, I feel like there's a live lesson. Ja- well, Jake, Jacob is now nine points ahead, so double points next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a quick reminder that you can get in touch with us on social media. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do do get in touch because um as I said next week Thomas is Tinder we need your suggestions I don't really know how it works but I presume you need suggestions for a profile picture or bio maybe um what? so do get in touch um we'll also have Jiggly Jacob what should Jacob giggle on the show or juggle Jiggly Jacob that's the juggle on the show next week yes um which type of ball should he juggle. Okay, um, <laughs> join us next week where Jacob's segment will be back. We'll Yay. have round four of the Battle of the Wits. Wait, and I, just, I just want to say, actually, we recorded this once before and um, Thomas did a blooper, um, but um, which I think was going to be a blooper reel at the end of it, the season. Um, but he said Jacob's segment will be back and hopefully it will be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there, there, there is hope, ladies and gentlemen. So, and Matthew Dean will also be back and giving his views on the current political climate, plus he will be facing political snog, marry, avoid. So, be sure to join us next week, where we won't be keeping it cool, but, but we, we will, will be, be keeping, keeping it current. current. Goodbye. <laughs>